E-commerce isn't just an aspect of growing a successful wine business, it is crucial. And that's why I strongly recommend working with Offset Partners. As a proudly independent e-commerce technology and brand design company based in wine country, Offset understands the operational nuances and the customer service imperatives that distinguish a great online buying experience from a mediocre one. And that's why leading and legendary brands like Saxum, Arnott Roberts, and Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant choose Offset's proprietary commerce technology platform to power their DTC sales. If you're an allocated winery or a high-touch merchant that values an elegant, effective commerce solution for both you, your customers, and your team, reach out to the smart team at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com, to craft a better direct-to-consumer experience. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Angelo Guy on the show. Hello, sir. How are you? i fine. So your dad stopped buying grapes in 1961. Yes. And that's also when you started at the winery. What was that period of time like for you? Well, I was a beginner uh, because I just uh, left the school. Uh, I was uh, 21 years old at that time. I joined the winery and uh, my father asked me, uh, instead of uh, uh, working in the cellar, he told me why not, uh, that, that uh, for me it could be a good experience to spend uh, time in the vineyards. And uh, I worked uh, for uh, almost uh, seven years uh, in uh, uh, vineyards. And I believe that uh, this was a very useful time for me, very uh, profitable, because uh, I introduced my, my feet in nature. And uh, I, there was at the time a man, the name was Gino, Gino Cavallo, that was responsible of vineyards. And uh, he started uh, trying to, uh, to teach me. In the same time, I went even to school to university for uh, four years, and uh, but I had the time uh, to uh, practice uh, viticulture. And uh, the school of uh, this uh, Gino, this uh, uh, man that was charged having uh, taken care of our vineyards, uh, was precious for me. And I learned. Uh, what did I learn? What did I, I learned apparently some. Uh, I learned some steps that uh, uh, could seem uh, uh, not useful for me. Because uh, uh, I never would have uh, had to do uh, this kind of work, uh, working uh, uh, manually in the vineyards and so on. But uh, I, uh, I started understanding more about the time that uh, work uh, uh, needed to be done. For us, that uh, we are artisans, uh, craft people, is important uh, even uh, to understand the kind of work that our people is doing in the vineyard and uh, how the work can be done in, in a right way. We don't work with the cooperatives workers uh, that are uh, many, many wineries are used to do and that they can do perfectly and so on. But we prefer to have our own people and train these people in a way uh, having them doing the work in our way. is uh, I don't say that is the better way, but it's our way, you know? And being artisan, this is important. So the school that I had at the time was very useful for me to understand the way of doing and so on. 
and uh, the uh, uh, Gino, the uh, the man that was charged to teach me, uh, he had uh, even a sense of uh, humor uh, beside rigor. And uh, sometime for him, uh, I was not good enough, and he was uh, uh, asking me to spend more energy, more time, more dedication, that this was indispensable to know uh, the work that he was used uh, doing and so on. So this was a good school for me, and there are three factors in uh, making the quality of a wine. The soil, the grape variety, and the weather. Well, during the life of uh, a vineyard, the grape variety stays always the same. Uh, if the vineyard is planted Cabernet Sauvignon or Chardonnay or Nebbiolo, will always stay the same. The terroir, the land, if the land is a good terroir, is ready, capable in producing excellent grapes and excellent wine, during the life of the vineyard, the land is always the same, the soil is always the same. The big variation is in climate, because uh, with the excellent weather conditions, it's possible to make beautiful grapes and excellent wine. With the very bad weather conditions, uh, or hail, or a lot of, of rain during harvest season and so on, can be a disaster, and uh, the quality is not there. So because uh, I started the really, really, really realizing the importance of weather, and that weather belongs to nature. And uh, there is nothing to do. Uh, we can uh, try to work in our in, in the best way that is possible uh, for a, a grape grower, and after to be uh, submitted to the variation of, of weather. Till the uh, mid-90s, uh, weather in our region was uh, quite often during a harvest time, a lot of rain, and the rain were damaging less or more the uh, grapes. So uh, quality was uh, unpredictable, not, not, not easy. I remember that uh, normally in the 60s decade, in the 70s decade, in 80 decade, the bad vintages were three, four out of ten. You know, this, uh, today, after uh, that uh, we are living uh, in a time that uh, probably there is a variation in weather uh, today that uh, uh, I don't know if I can uh, talk about the climate change, but something is, is modifying in the weather in, in the vineyard and the consequences are different. So today that we have much more uh, dry and hot uh, summertime and during uh, autumn is not raining like it was used in the past, there is a much more uh, opportunity of producing grapes of a certain level of quality and the consistency and repeating the quality. So this is a good aspect of uh, what is uh, happening now with uh, climate change. The, the, there is even a less good as aspect, and it means that uh, parasites are becoming more aggressive. The uh, growing season starts earlier, uh, the harvest time starts uh, earlier, and quite often there is an increase of sugar in the grapes and an increase of, of alcohol. And this is another aspect that, uh, because we don't like manipulate wine, and <laughs> how to avoid, how to limit uh, the uh, uh, increase of alcohol in the wine. We have to work more in the vineyards and to know more and so on. And I believe that we will be able to, to reduce and to, to have more control in our grapes. The greatest vintage was for me the first, and I was a beginner, it was 61. 
absolutely in uh, one was considered one of the greatest uh, villages. Sixty two was good, the same was not the same, was very good, but. Um, uh, the because the sixty one was uh, so uh, great, uh, and the consumers uh, didn't take uh, care of sixty two. That was an excellent vintage. Sixty three was difficult, not easy vintage. Sixty four uh, again a quite a very good vintage with a large crop. Sixty one had a very very short crop, uh, and the quality was had a fantastic concentration, beautiful uh, wine and so on. Sixty four the the crop was much higher, the quality excellent, not at the same level of sixty one, but very good. And after we had two vintages in a row, 65 and 66, very difficult. The, the quality was not there, uh, less than average uh, vintage. And uh, 67 again, a good one, not great, but a good wine. And after another two difficult vintages, 68 and 69. And finally, reaching uh, 70, that was another very good vintage, and 71, a greatest one. So did that difference between 61 and 64 partially convince you that you needed to reduce yields because it was the bigger no, crop? This was already, the, the concept of reducing or taking care of uh, yields was already a concept of my father, not me. Not me. Uh, I wasn't prepared. I had uh, no experience. I was lucky because uh, I had him like a teacher and uh, for me, it was very, very, very important experience. Despite my father was not used to tell me or to teach me, not because he was jealous at all, but because he thought that I had to know things. For him, it was so normal, you know, the way he was thinking that he couldn't understand that I could think in a different way. So for him, so. I had, in effect, to stole the uh, uh, knowledges uh, from him. Um, it's quite different to what I do now with my uh, children because I have uh, two daughters and a boy that are in the winery working with us, with, with me. So we are actually five, even my wife. We, we, don't, we, we have no other activity. Uh, we don't, uh, the, the only work that we do full-time is uh, uh, our doing uh, our uh, work in terms of uh, wine producers and uh, selling the wine in the market and uh, producing grapes and so on. So uh, taking care of, of, of this and so on, but, uh, but, but full-time. So now I try to to transfer to my uh, children as much as possible. And I try to talk as much as possible to them. And I believe that it's important in a way uh, to uh, help them to recuperate the kind of, of culture or experiences that I had in my life. Uh, my father didn't do it this way. But I repeat, uh, because uh, uh, it was a, a different attitude. So, and I had for me, in effect, uh, working uh, not full time because uh, for uh, almost four years I went to university and so on, but uh, uh, I had quite good time to learn uh, there in the vineyards. And it's only seven years after uh, that I had the chance of entering the cellar. So, about your question about the crop, the, the yield. My father was the first at the time in Piedmont to understand that it was important for producing quality grapes and the quality wine. Wines, it was important to afford sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices? First of all, to take care, to take control of quantity, of yield. So asking time to time to his workers to, to do all the steps in a, in a way to take a control of a quantity, of yield. So reducing the quantity. At that time, 
This was an attitude unthinkable, difficult to understand for workers because the, the, the crop, the natural crop was given by nature, by God. Why to reduce? Why to take control that everybody needed, that, you know, adding mind, the quantity and so on. So I remember that my father had, uh, was not, e not easy, not easy to ask Gino, uh, the responsible of vineyards, uh, to be careful starting planting a vineyard, uh, trying to use uh, rootstock or uh, Nebbiolo, a variety uh, more adaptable to have low uh, vigor and producing less. Uh, if uh, perhaps after uh, the flowering time, the production was uh, too big, uh, starting to do and to, to reduce the number of benches, but this was uh, very, very difficult uh, to have uh, people at the time understanding uh, because the concept and the idea that the quality was made by a, a crop not too big, not too high, and so on, was at the time uh, rare, not understood like today. And even another kind of sacrifice that he did many times, uh, in occasion of bad vintages, because bad weather during the growing season, it was available not to bottle the wine and selling the wine entirely in bulk. What, what did it mean at the time? <laughs> Losing uh, 80% percent of, of, uh, of your money, you know, uh, was a big loss. But uh, he was very severe with himself and had a lot of rigor. And uh, uh, doing that, I believe that uh, he uh, gave the, the chance to uh, Gaia consumers, uh, the consumers of our wine, to find in the market always uh, high-quality wines because he refused to bottle the uh, low quality. So often the, uh, um, the consumers don't know about the weather conditions. Uh, they don't know about, you know, the, the, the quality of... But uh, doing the sacrifice that he did and uh, refusing to bottle wines sometime two, three, four vintages out of ten, this uh, became uh, uh, for him in long term a big advantage comparing other uh, wine producers. And your grandmother was quite important in your life early on. Well, I believe that uh, is important for uh, for me, but not only for me, for a lot of people. It's important to, you need to have teachers, you know, and uh, if... Uh, the uh, condition is uh, uh, continuing doing the family business, you have to have someone uh, teaching you. And uh, I was lucky because in the family, my two big teachers were grandmother and uh, my father. Grandmother was born in 1880. And uh, when I joined the winery in 61 is the, the year that uh, she died. Uh, but I was 21 years old. So I had the time to learn by her when I was uh, uh, younger and uh, till 21 years old. And uh, I believe that uh, her lessons were quite important. The first uh, very important one is uh, uh, when uh, I was 11 years old and I was with her in Barbaresco because I grew up, I grew up in Alba, that is a town, is the main town of uh, Lange district. And it's a town far uh, seven miles from Barbaresco. And I had the chance in uh, uh, the month I remember of August, at the end of August, before starting school uh, in uh, September, uh, to spend some time with the grandmother. And I was doing my homework, you know, the, to do the work that the students are used to doing uh, during uh, vacation and so on. And uh, she uh, uh, had to take a, a control to have a, a look to my uh, homework. So uh, I was seated. 
And uh, she was back me and uh, she asked me, what do you like to do in your life? I was 11 years old. I had no idea at all what to do, uh, how to give her an answer. And I didn't, uh, I didn't give an answer. And she repeated, I stay silent. And finally she said to me, look, uh, in your life, you have to become an artisan. And to become an artisan, there are four steps. And you have to follow these four steps. The four steps are fare, saper fare, saper far fare, far sapere. She told me even in France because uh, she studied in Chambéry, the capital of Sawa, and uh, she became school teacher, and she learned very well uh, France. And she said me even uh, repeated even to me in France, faire, savoir faire, savoir faire, faire. I had no idea this uh, word. And she explained me. Fare mean, fare means uh, to do. Everybody in life have uh, to do something. To, to make money, to, to eat, uh, to spend time, uh, to, uh, to have an occupation. To do sometimes with passion, some other time uh, no passion. But the saper fare, um, to, to reach the know-how, to have the know-how. So this uh, is a specific of, of artisan. Artisan is someone in different fields, uh, in all uh, kind of uh, work activity and so on, is a guy that uh, has a project. And he has a project in his mind and is his own project. And he likes to make the project in his way. Sometimes can be successful, some other time not, because is uh, principally for him and uh, taking care of his project, spending time to, uh, to know, to understand all details in a way to improve the quality of his project and so on, and uh, with the passion and dedicating and so on. Maybe that uh, sometime it happens that uh, he can uh, be successful in his uh, uh, work. And uh, at that time, uh, in Italy, we say that uh, after time, he will become a maestro. Uh, and uh, this uh, is the third step, saper far fare, to teach how. So it means uh, to teach how to reach the know-how to uh, uh, his collaborators, to his uh, uh, children, uh, to his family, and so on. And finally, it's not finished. It's important that the uh, far sapere, to transmit the knowledge in a way that the consumers, the people that uh, has a benefit of the work uh, of artisan, uh, can understand the work and the communication, marketing, call as you like. So I was 11 years old. Uh, grandmother told me that I had no idea. I, I couldn't understand. I had no idea. I remember that uh, she wrote me on a piece of paper that I lost, unfortunately. But after my grandmother repeated me many times, and uh, my father uh, repeated to me, so my teachers, my, my grandmother and my father, my, my grandmother, I remember always about uh, uh, this uh, concept. To become an artisan, you have uh, to, to take care of uh, saper fare, saper far fare, e far sapere. And uh, so grandmother, principally, I believe that uh, really for me was uh, a great teacher, a woman with the rigor, uh, smiling rarely, uh, was a special woman. I, uh, frankly, I was intimidated by her. 
I, uh, but uh, she was a great teacher for me. And, and after I had my father, that was uh, my, uh, that I lived with, because my father died in uh, 2002 and uh, uh, was active in the uh, winery till uh, 92, 93. So absolutely, I, I, despite I had to stole my, uh, my uh, knowledge by him, uh, because he was not used uh, telling and so on, but was a great, and he had uh, so many ideas that uh, still today are uh, have a value. And uh, even he was the first uh, in 1937 introducing uh, in uh, a winery a label that was uh, a new one uh, with a new concept, absolutely, in uh, my region. With the brand Gaia, with our family name, written uh, three centimeters, uh, written big on the top of the label. This was absolutely unusual, was a concept I never seen before. And there was the beginning of a, of a, a new uh, concept. And why he did that? Because he thought, absolutely true, that uh, who drinks wine, the consumer, has to know who's the guy back that produces wine. So the, the brand name became a guarantee uh, of a quality, became a guarantee of a method, of a philosophy, of a way of making wine. So quite important. And he was in my region, the first to start this concept in 1937, and at the time it was in Piedmont, totally, totally unknown. At the time, the uh, uh, the wineries were in the hand of negotiations of uh, um, bigger producers that didn't own uh, vineyards, just buying grapes, making wine and selling wine. My father was one of the first in, in the area to produce wines exclusively by his own grape. So for him, the project started already in the vineyards and taking care of, of, of the crop, of yield, and so on, working in, in a way to be guaranteed to have, to have the guarantee of producing quality grapes and after seller and after selling the wine. To be a grower producer. Yes, absolutely. Was grower. a new thing. Uh, to be a state, you know, to be, uh, to have a control, having the control starting by uh, vineyards. There was a an analogist that your father had hired that retired in 1970. Uh, yes, because uh, the, the name was Luigi Rama, was a, a man that uh, produced the wine for my father for a long time. And uh, a talented uh, man with a lot of experience. Uh, he was not uh, really a, 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 he didn't go to school, but uh, he had a practice. He, he, he knew all about, uh, and uh, his way of making uh, uh, wine was corresponding exactly uh, the, the feeling and the, the idea of my father. So uh, when I joined the winery, uh, our family business in '61, and I told you that I spent seven years in uh, vineyards, is only in six. At the end of 68, uh, beginning 69, that I entered in the cellar to work with, beside my father, uh, winemaker. And uh, he was already 65 or 66 years old. And uh, uh, he, uh, he, he liked his even to retire. So in, uh, in a relatively short time, I uh, uh, look for a, a young uh, winemaker, the name Guido Rivella, that was a native from Barbaresco. And uh, Guido Rivella joined the winery in March 70. And uh, for the first two, three years, he worked beside the older one, uh, Luigi Rama, and after he went on. 
And he had gone to the same school of analogy that you had. Yes, exactly. Because uh, uh, I went to school uh, to Alba, like him, but uh, uh, he, in effect, uh, was responsible of a Gaia cellar for 45 years because he worked there for 45 years. And uh, incredible and very talented uh, uh, man. And I believe that uh, I have to recognize that the quality of uh, Gaia wines was uh, largely due to his work. He did very well. And even he helped, uh, he had an assistant. Uh, the name is Alessandro Albarello, that uh, now is winemaker at Gaia Winery because uh, uh, Guido Rivella retired uh, uh, two years ago, despite his uh, still uh, time to time uh, coming to the winery and overlooking, having, having an, an interest, uh, and I'm very happy about uh, that, but uh, not, uh, is, it doesn't give me uh, the uh, full time, uh, is a full time work after 45 years, of course. And uh, uh, now he has uh, even uh, for himself uh, a, a small winery producing excellent wine and uh, in agriturismo, uh, you know, uh, we grew up together, you know, and... Uh, it seemed like a little brother for uh, you. Yes, yes. A little bit, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. And uh, so in effect, I went to the same school of him, but uh, he was responsible of the cellar. You kind of both started together in the cellar. Yes, in 70. So we grew up uh, uh, together, and I believe that my work was absolutely in terms of uh, being uh, the owner of uh, the company. So the responsibility was of Guido Rivella, and he knew all the the different aspects in the uh, winery. But with me... Uh, with my taste, and uh, uh, I, I try to, to inspire even him, of course, to do in uh, what, sorry, it was my way, you know, the way of the artisan, yes. And uh, uh, never we had the conflict. Sometimes, of course, it could happen that, uh, yes, like in a, ma- in, a, in, a, in, a, in a marriage, you know, but uh, it was a perfect situation and the collaboration, uh, we worked very well. What was important for me even was uh, because my father didn't know languages. So my father pushed me at the end of the 60s, beginning 70s, to go outside and uh, to reach new markets and uh, to reach new experiences because uh, traveling is the best way to learn. So I started traveling and having experiences and knowing and talking to people and so on. I, what, what a fantastic experience. I remember always in 74 when I met Robert Mondavi, you know, and talking to him, it was, it was contagious because he was doing a lot of experience in a way to uh, uh, increase the perception of California wines and the making a better quality wines and so on and the steps that he did and so on. So I believe that at that time uh, in the 70s when uh, I started the traveling, and uh, I had uh, much more the perception, and uh, my knowledge is increased, and uh, this was uh, an experience that my my father never had, and uh, for me was quite useful. And I, I knew new teachers, you know, or new people even that I could uh, capture some experience and uh, creating uh, my uh, knowledge and so on. But again, was uh, my father that uh, pushed me, and he, he said me because honestly at the time, Barbaresco and Barolo were two wines uh, not so well understood in the market. And uh, apparently it seemed that especially the, uh, the market outside from Europe could be difficult to accept uh, similar wines because it belonged more to a, a culture that uh, uh, we had in, 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 
uh, Europe, the culture of terroir, of course, at that time, the culture of uh, uh, indigenous grape variety that could produce uh, special wine, original wine. The, the idea that uh, this uh, uh, originality has uh, to be uh, protected and uh, maintained, absolutely, because uh, is something that gives uh, is a specialty for a wine that gives a special character. But uh, beside that, uh, if you have a wine that is different because of its originality and so on, and after it's important to teach people how to drink and how to use. So it, it seemed that uh, not because we were underestimated uh, U.S. people that. Uh, now uh, it's not by chance that it's the most important market for premium wine in the world, the U.S. But at that time, it seemed to be difficult to uh, introduce this uh, kind of wines, uh, even Bruno de Montalcino or Amarone and so on, uh, Barbaresco, Barolo, outside from Europe. It seemed that uh, our cradle, the, the area that uh, could accept more our wines, was uh, Europe. But my father... Uh, 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 forced me and he told uh, look you have to explore and so on and this was another was a step for me quite important uh, knowing at that time in uh, I remember that uh, in 74 I was uh, in uh, Napa and uh, I visited uh, Mondavi uh, Zelman Ong was a winemaker there uh, and uh, for me it was a very good experience uh, meeting her and after she went to work at uh, Simi Winery and so on well, in occasion of my first trip, I had the chance of visiting a winery in Sonoma, the name Hansel, H-A-N-Z-E-L-L. I was uh, surprised. At the time, the owner of uh, Hansel was uh, von Zellerbach. Uh, he was a previous uh, U.S. ambassador in uh, Paris. And he loved so much the uh, Burgundy, Burgundian wines that uh, uh, in uh, project to retire, he liked to uh, have a winery in Sonoma producing uh, uh, wines similar to uh, Burgundy wines. So Pinot Noir, planting Pinot Noir and the Chardonnay and uh, uh, producing wine with, in a tiny, in a small uh, winery with uh, uh, tiny equipment. And I was, uh, I was surprised about this concept, this idea. So in a time that... Uh, in the United States, it was booming the interest for, especially for Cabernet Sauvignon. But this was a delicate wine and not easy and so on. And after I saw the process of uh, American producers, uh, smart, they learn. And, and they looked uh, for an area uh, close to the sea. Uh, so they discovered uh, Carneros for uh, planting uh, Pinot Noir. And after uh, they went uh, to Mendocino and uh, close to the uh, Pacific uh, coast. And after they discovered uh, Santa Rita, Santa Ines, and so on. But uh, Hansel for me was uh, something that uh, starting uh, opening me the mind and uh, having uh, even curiosity for uh, some uh, international grape variety that never we had in my region. So the idea was uh, first uh, to plant even uh, uh, because the dream uh, for uh, many uh, producers uh, in uh, producing uh, premium red wines in some area is uh, why not to have the chance even of producing a premium white wine. I, I started to cultivate uh, in the early 70s, uh, uh, after 74, 75, the dream, the idea in uh, producing a white wine in a small quantity, having uh, in Lange 
And I looked at to uh, looking to a grape variety that already in the world was able in the producing uh, through this uh, variety great wines. Chardonnay uh, did it, and uh, uh, we decided finally to plant a vineyard of uh, Chardonnay in uh, uh, 1979. At that time, and uh, even uh, having a, a barrel aging, sure, for, which uh, is what Hansel did, right? Yes, they got yes, in French exactly, wood, exactly. So. And uh, we did. Uh, in some way, we were successful. Was was a, and this was a, an idea that uh, my father hadn't, uh, because even for him, uh, he was. Uh, I don't say reluctant. He uh, didn't. He uh, um, was not against the idea of a planting uh, a Chardonnay vineyard, uh, but uh, for him, uh, it seemed to be a loss of time, uh, because uh, uh, for him, the wine had one only color red so he couldn't understand why to why to plant a chardonnay vineyard and i remember that i told him that this could be because lange my district has a beautiful land and i am a believer in this land and that that could be possible despite we had no experience before but it was something that was not for him of special interest for me, uh, in effect, it was the result even to plant a Chardonnay of experiences that I had in a different part of the world, even in the United States. So this gave me. And we, we were lucky because the wine had a success and so on, went on and so on. And even we planted the year before a small vineyard of Cabernet Sauvignon. This I had was more difficult to convince my father to give me the chance of doing this step. Despite my father never... Uh, we we uh, we never fighted. We had I, I never had uh, problems with uh, my father. Despite uh, we could think in a different way, but he was very tolerant, and he taught me tolerance. Very important. Even uh, running a company, having uh, your uh, collaborators and so on, uh, being respectful and uh, being able to contrast with arguments, you know, with uh, and to convince if they are if people doesn't think like 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 me in my, my company, I have to be able uh, to uh, to convince them with ideas and so on. If not, I have to accept, you know, or to modify my ideas and so on. So my father, uh, even uh, in uh, having respect of uh, this uh, concept of tolerance, and uh, uh, despite uh, he didn't like the idea of uh, planting uh, a red uh, grape variety such as uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, never planted before in the past in Piedmont, uh, in the in the in the in the last century, not in the past, never never planted before. And uh, so he, he tried to to give me advices. Look, uh, we have already. It was he was right. We have already uh, Nebbiolo is our king red variety planted in Piedmont for eight hundred years. Why you need to plant a Cabernet Sauvignon that we have already a king uh, red variety? But finally, because he was insisting, at the end he gave me the permit. So this is very important a step. So he gave me the chance of having a project for myself. So for children that are entering and doing work in a family business, especially in artisanal family business, the, the parents that are still in the company have to understand that you cannot oblige children to follow and to do my project. You have to leave them to give their own project. 
and uh, you know and uh, to have to be uh, to try uh, to give them uh, good advices uh, if you believe that uh, is not good uh, to try to tell uh, all the reasons why is not good but if they uh, at the end they like to have this and to go on with the project this is their project you cannot contrast it till at the end you have to leave it you know so my father understood that this was a good lesson that I have for my children too so to understand that creating a continuity going on by generation is quite important to give children the chance of cultivating of having their own project so we planted the Cabernet Sauvignon and so on so it sounds to me like you saw that Robert Mondavi planted Cabernet in Napa and that people started to, at that time, then to start to talk about Napa as a great wine region in yes. the world. Yes. And then Hansel planted Chardonnay yes. in Sonoma and yes. people started to talk yes. about Sonoma as a yes. great wine region. Yes. And they weren't talking about Piemonte in the world, Yes. but you thought it was a good wine region. So you thought, if I plant Chardonnay and Cabernet, maybe people will talk about this region as a great region in the world. Yes, exactly. Because because Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon are more known in the market than wines made by Nebbiolo grapes, with Cabernet and Chardonnay are planted everywhere. So what does it mean? That it means that consumers have more the knowledge of the taste and are more acceptable, more ready to accept a, a, a taste of Cabernet Chardonnay made in another area that, that they can recognize more difficult to understand the taste of an indigenous grape variety never heard before. You know, uh, so the idea of uh, planting a small quantity, uh, having a small vineyard surface of international grape variety, could be a, a marketing strategy. You know, in a way uh, to be accepted if. Uh, the uh, uh, wines made in uh, my area, in my winery, produced by Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon, could be original, could be uh, something uh, uh, special in terms of quality. This uh, could be a good message in a way to reach the attention of uh, international uh, consumers and uh, after introducing to them uh, Barbaresco and Barolo uh, uh, easier, you know, this could be a, a, an idea. And uh, my father didn't, yes, he didn't like the idea of uh, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. And uh, for what concerns uh, the Chardonnay, <laughs> for him, uh, uh, white wine was nothing, you know. Uh, so he told me, you, do you like to plant? Okay, do it. Uh, in, for, for Cabernet Sauvignon, a little bit of more resistant, but never fighting together. And at the same time, when you made those new bottlings, you named one, partly it's named after one of your daughters, another white wine is named after your other daughter. Well, uh, about the names, uh, we never uh, gave a geographical name to our, uh, why? Because uh, some geographical way can, uh, um, can mean uh, nothing special for me. Uh, no, Barbaresco and Barolo, of course, uh, have, are uh, very special in the, in the appellation. But uh, uh, names of a smaller uh, region in the area, for me, were, for me, was more important uh, to give names to our wines that can have a relation with some sentimental aspect, some history, something belonging, you know, uh, the way that we were there. So 
We dedicated the names, for example, to my grandmother, Sorry Tilding. Tilding was the nickname of my grandmother, Clotilde Rey, and Clotilde, Tilde, Tilding. So the wine was in some way dedicated to her and other names that belonged to our history and our way to be in being there. For me, it was more important that a geographical name smaller that couldn't be less important. So what about spares? What was that purchase like for you in Sarah Spares uh, uh, was the last uh, uh, buy that, uh, important buy that we did in Sarah Lunga in uh, 1988. <laughs> this uh, spares is a special meeting and for me is uh, is absolutely, was the first step outside the uh, Barbaresco uh, area. So I born uh, in Alba. At the time, uh, my winery, like today, is uh, based in Barbaresco. But at the time, uh, we owned exclusively land for producing Barbaresco wine. Well, I tell you the story of Spares. My father, when he was uh, 17, 18, 19 years old, uh, because he went to school in Torino, uh, far from Barbaresco, 35 miles, and he, uh, he studied there. And when he was there, going to school uh, at the third, the fourth, the fifth year, my grandmother, his mother, went to his professor in Torino, asking him to have the chance of having Giovanni, her son, at home during the month of October. It was school time. And initially, the, uh, the professor was reluctant uh, telling uh, uh, to my grandmother, but you know, losing one month is uh, too much and so on. But after he realized that uh, my father was a very good student and that, that even losing a month could recuperate after. So at the end, told that, um, okay, gave the permit. So my father for three years, when he was 17, 18, 19 years old, spent one month of October in Piedmont harvesting grapes. And the harvest was for the first 10 days, he was used to spending the time in Barbaresco with the care of his mother, my, my grandmother, Clotilde Rey. Clotilde Rey was very severe and she was used asking my father to get up at six o'clock in the morning. Despite it was still dark and that there was no needing of getting up so early and so on, but this was like military. So get up at six o'clock. And after to go to work at eight, uh, harvesting, and harvesting all the day, and having a small lunch, and uh, only at uh, six or seven o'clock to have a, a dinner. And the dinner was for all the workers there, all together. And uh, during, uh, they were used at the time, even to invite uh, harvesters, you know, other people to harvest and so on. Normally were young people, and often were young girls. And this was an occasion, you know, to familiarize, to know uh, uh, girls and to, for male, and to talk together and so on. So they, they were used after dinner uh, to spend some time talking together, the, uh, the people uh, that, uh, and the girls uh, and the laughing and talking and so on, normal, like it does everywhere in the world. But my grandmother asked Giovanni, her son, to go to bed at nine o'clock. So this, despite was the time eventually to spend with, he couldn't. Uh, the rule was for grandmother go to bed. So and he was he was used to having a room that had the windows on the square below, 
where he could hear the girls and the other talking and laughing and so on till at 11 o'clock, um, sometime midnight, but he had to stay in bed. And even no tip. So it was very severe. This uh, And the grandmother was very strict, rigorous. But after this uh, 10 or 12 days, he had uh, the permit to go uh, in uh, uh, another area in uh, Barolo district, in a small village called Seralunga, to harvest grapes there in a family that were very good friends of my grandmother. And normally was used spending there 15 days of October. But there was a paradise because he could get up when he liked. He was treated like a prince. He had some tip. And after dinner, he could spend the time as he liked, and even in the in the square, talking and laughing with girls and so on till midnight, one o'clock. So this was a paradise. And he started thinking that this was a fantastic vineyard, a beautiful place. And he started dreaming, how can I, if uh, I ever to to go outside and to, to buy a vineyard outside from uh, Barbaresco uh, district, I would like to buy this vineyard. And he had always in mind this vineyard. And this is a, is a great piece of land that belonged to uh, uh, people that uh, had this land for a long time. You know, the great terroir are not in cell, are rarely are in cell. And when the great were arrive in cell, if you like to buy, you have to be ready at that time and bind. If not, you lose the occasion and, uh, and you will have to <laughs> wait 50 or 60 years before. So it happened that uh, uh, my father looked carefully to buy this land. And in his approach, it was if, if uh, uh, for him, for my father, he was thinking that if he had to buy a piece of land outside the Barbaresco area, in Barolo area, had to be this. Uh, but this is impossible, you know, to cultivate this idea. was. In fact, by the time, he had many offers to buy a piece of land in the Barolo district, not that one. Not this one. And always refused because for him, only this piece had to be. So he, he wasn't successful. I was at Vin Italy a Sunday afternoon. We had a booth full of people. I was a tyrant full of people, a confusion. And this was uh, uh, April 88. And uh, I, had, uh, I had a friend of mine, a broker, that uh, joined me in the uh, booth, my booth, had been Italy uh, in 88. And he told me, there is a, a piece of land in sale in the Barolo district. And I told him, look, uh, I have no time. I have so many and uh, uh, I will be back. Uh, this was a Sunday. I will be back on, on uh, Wednesday when uh, the, the fair will be finished. And uh, I will call you and so on. Okay. But before leaving, I asked him, but sorry, where, in uh, uh, which village? And he told me, the land to sell is in Seralunga. In Seralunga? Where? And he told me exactly the vineyard that my father had the dream of buying and for all his life. My God, <laughs> was like an electricity. And I told him, look, just a minute. If it's for this piece of land, I can come back tomorrow, Monday, 
and I would like to have the chance of meeting these people and to be prepared to them eventually to sell. And I came back on Monday, and the Monday uh, late evening, I met the owners and they signed the deal. And I bought, I bought the property without visiting the property. I didn't go to visit the property. I just, uh, I, I bought on the paper. And we called this uh, piece of land uh, to make uh, the wine that my father was dreaming and so on. And that, uh, we called the wine Spears, S-P-E-R-S-S. is a, a Piedmontese dialect word that means nostalgia, nostalgia. Nostalgia what? Nostalgia, this nostalgia that my father had for years because he dreamed to have the chance of buying this piece of land where he was used harvesting the grapes when he was 17, 18 years old. And after, finally, I could buy this piece of land and we called the wine spares nostalgia because in, in memory of him, he was very happy because he was alive at the time when in 88 and he was an enthusiast and so on. So for me, the, the name, the geographical name of the area is Marenka Erivette. But for me, Marenka Rivet, Spurs had much more meaning, you know, because back there is an history, there is a, a, a feelings, there is a, a, a dream that belonged to my father and myself. You also started an import business. And yes. I imagine that you met some key figures in the international wine community during that time. You imported DRC, you imported yes. Vegas Sicilia to yeah. Italy. Yeah. Yes, well, uh, this was a little bit unusual for an Italian uh, wine producer. In effect, I had the chance of uh, uh, becoming importer of uh, uh, DRC uh, uh, wines in uh, 1977. I was uh, uh, not uh, absolutely not known at the time in uh, the uh, uh, U.S. market, and I was a little bit. Uh, uh, embarrassed uh, coming to the United States and uh, because uh, sometimes uh, wine writers were knowing that I was uh, through a, a company called the Gaia Distribution that uh, we were the importers of the DRC we, we sometimes we, we, I became more important for being recognized as importer of the DRC wine that for Gaia you know but a little bit embarrassing because I was uh, having reflect uh, a, a, an image that in effect uh, uh, didn't belong to me but uh, uh, okay Yes, it's true. We started uh, opening a company for uh, importing and distributing uh, wines from different countries, even from the United States and so on. We became importer of Mondavi. And, and uh, it was another chance of learning. Because when uh, a wine producer like me, uh, but at the time that I was uh, uh, introduced in a winery, that we were we started importing the wine, so I entered there like an importer, not like a, a, a wine producer, and that the the winery was more available to open me uh, and to tell me about their strategy. You know, uh, sometimes maybe that for a colleague that can be seen like a competitor, uh, probably they are a little bit more. But uh, for someone that is uh, uh, entering and asking and so on like an importer is different. And this was another good opportunity for me to learn a little bit in a different area, different countries, different wine producers, and so on. This was good. So let me ask you, you have both holdings in Barbaresco, Barbaresco, and in Trezo, but not in Neve, right? We have a, a property in Barbaresco, Trezo, and Alba, no in Neve. What are the differences between 
growing in Trezo? Is it higher elevation? In Trezo, we, uh, we own a vineyard in an area that is called the Paiore, that uh, is uh, not the highest one in, uh, in the highest area of, of Trezo, that uh, Barbaresco is at, at 270 meters uh, sea level, and the Trezo is uh, 450. Uh, but the Paiore is at 350, a little bit lower. And the more we have a, a piece of land there at a close of 400, 420 meters, that we planted Gaillaray, the Chardonnay. So in the past, uh, Trezo was uh, considered for the higher land uh, till 500 meters, not uh, proper for uh, planting uh, Nebbiolo grapes. Today, uh, probably or in future, it will be possible. But uh, so to uh, give an answer to your question, so, okay, we have uh, a vineyard in Trezo, uh, partially in Nebbiolo and uh, Chardonnay and uh, in Barbaresco Force and in Alba. You have Pajore, right? Yeah, we have Pajore, yes, exactly. That's the old Moresco. That's the Cedar Moresco. Yes, this, this belonged to a family that uh, the name was Giovannini Moresco. That was used already producing uh, wines uh, from there and so on. And after I bought uh, there the property in 79, I bought uh, first 50% and I ran his uh, rest 50%. And after seven years, he sold me even the other 50%. And uh, today we are the total order of uh, the property of uh, Giovannini Moresco. And you made the wine for two vintages. And I made for him the wine, yes, in 78 and 79. Yes, right. And what no was... What, what, thanks. Uh, what was he like? As a person, what was he like? I believe that the, the wine produced by him had a very good image. And even he was a good promoter of his wine because he liked it very much. He was a gourmet. He liked the good food. And he was used to going in having... Very good friend in some excellent restaurants where he was used to giving his wine and, and his wine was appreciated and so on. So it went on quite well. But after he decided to sell and I could buy and I bought, yes. May I ask you about some of the other sort of key and historical figures of the Barbaresco zone over the years yes, that you may have ask. known? Because I've never met. Uh, so Giacosa in person, yes. well, what's he like? I believe that uh, he's uh, one of the best uh, wine producers that is uh, in the area. He's a great guy. Uh, he started working uh, that he was 16 years old in uh, 1946. And he started working with his father that was a, a grape broker. And he learned to become a, a grape broker, selling grapes of other producers for almost 14 years, uh, till 1960 that finally decided to open his own winery. But by the time, he became the best grape taster in the area. Uh, his father was a, already a broker. And uh, to be a broker, apparently, what was more important was uh, to be able to convince who sells uh, something uh, to find uh, a deal with uh, who buys, you know. And uh, so it's more important to be a good talker, you know, than a, a taster. But he, he was absolutely, uh, he became a great a grape taster, one of the few, absolutely. And he was able probably at that time because he had the chance of visiting different vineyards of different proprietors and not only to find the buyer and just to find the way of doing a deal, but even for him it was important to know about the quality of grapes. And he became, I repeat, a grape taster and so on. And I believe that for the first in the decade, 60s, 70s and 80s, he took a lot of benefit in having this activity because he was able even to keep for him probably the best uh, grapes available 
because it was smart, it was able for the grapes that was used buying to pay at the higher price, and it was very smart, very, very correct, doing well. And it took a lot of benefit of his experience of grape taster in making wine as negotiant for a long time. But this was the time that the large majority of grapes were arriving on the market, almost 90% or 80% of grapes. Today, the large, a lot of people that was used to selling grapes to him became a wine producer, you know? So there is no more chance of, for a negotiant to do the same work that he did in, at the time. And in effect, he started buying land 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and they're making wine. But he's uh, not in a perfect health today, uh, Bruno Giacosa, is uh, one of the monuments of the area, and he has a daughter that is quite talented, and that, that today is able to run the winery quite good. And Armando Cordero, when he was making Barbaresco for Franco Fiorina, well, did you see him buying grapes? Yes, this, uh, uh, Franco Fiorina was another negotiant. Uh, uh, Franco Fiorina never owned the land, uh, vineyards, but uh, he, uh, through this uh, Franco Cordero, a winemaker of excellent capability, uh, knowledge, taste, taste. And uh, uh, Cordero worked there for a long time at Franco Fiorina till Franco Fiorina sold the winery. And uh, he was a good selector of a grape variety. But in effect, he had not the same knowledge. This party was a great connoisseur. But uh, Giacosa that was used to doing, being a broker before, you know, then a winemaker, being a broker. So collected even, a, a, but uh, you, you, you picked the name of a very important man, Cordero, that was able even, was uh, he entered in the commission of the uh, Barbaresco and Barolo appellation for judging the wines to be bottled, to give the bottled, to, the, the permit to producers to bottle the wine if the quality was reaching the status. Great guy there to be recognized. And you were friends with Giacomo Bologna before he died. Yes, uh, Giacomo Bologna was uh, the man that uh, put the Barbera on the stage. And uh, absolutely. And uh, Giacomo Bologna had uh, an incredible sensibility. He was able even uh, to reach the confidence of the people uh, poor people, uh, um, uh, 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 simple people, and very rich, and they're putting together on, on the table, and they're socializing all together, uh, and uh, uh, making the wine the connection of, uh, for these people. Because, uh, you know, uh, uh, wine is the most, uh, uh, is the beverage that has the, the larger uh, culture. Is, is culture better. And the uh, wine is able to reflect, is the ambassador of the character of an area. So when you taste a wine, you can recognize, uh, if you are a good taster, you can recognize not only the grape variety, but even the kind of climate that are there. And sometimes through the wine, you can even understand the kind of people that makes the wine and the story of, of an area, the tradition or if the, of the area is new. The, the wine is a, an incredible ambassador of all of these events. So Bologna was able, through wine, to socialize the people and to create uh, from uh, for people that were attending to uh, his friendship or to his way of being in, in the market or, or creating events and so on, people became crazy of him. was absolutely unique guy. Unique, absolutely. 
And you knew- He died in 1990, and there was a big loss for uh, the world of wine there, especially for Barbera, because uh, Barbera sometimes was uh, misunderstood uh, in terms of the quality, not always at the level, sometimes arriving in the, in the, in the market, uh, low-level quality wines and so on, so uh, some conflict. But he was uh, able to raise up the flag of uh, Barbera and uh, to help people to recognize the quality there. And you knew Romano Levy well. Romano Levy was a, a grappa producer, and he was used to making grappa with uh, an alambic of uh, first generation, so direct fire. Uh, it means that the pumices were introduced in uh, the alambic, and the fire was direct. So it uh, needs a lot of experience uh, because the direct, non a bagnomaria, not, uh, not uh, through water, uh, but a direct fire. So uh, you, uh, the grappa producer has to have a lot of experience in not to burn the. the but uh, I cannot say that his grappa was phenomenal in terms of quality, but was, he was phenomenal. Because he was used using labels that he was used writing by hand. All his labels were lighted by hand. So you understand immediately that the production had to be small, could not be a, 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 a large production. And what was special that he was able to report, to, to write on a label some aspect, a step of his life. And this was unique. This and uh, uh, he started to attract visitors in the Navy, and uh, there was always a queue of uh, people uh, on a Saturday and Sunday waiting to have the, to, the chance of talking to him and uh, perhaps to buy some bottles because were rare, not easy to have for, for to, to buy bottles for uh, everybody. Uh, unique, he was able to give value to Grappa. Grappa was considered, you know. Uh, nowadays, and uh, for poor people, you know, popular beverage and so on. And he, he was able to to give a value, to to understand, to help uh, people understanding that uh, was a spirit, but it was uh, the spirit of the place, something special. And uh, through him, because he was designing the label, the bottles were special. Absolutely. And the last person, your dad, what was he like as a person? What was he like, your dad? My father was a little, was reserved, was not a, a man that you can enter in contact immediately very easy, but uh, very loyal. Uh, he spent the time, he, he was mayor of Barbaresco, uh, major of uh, Barbaresco for, for 25 years, available to work even for other people, for the community. And uh, he had the vision. His way of being an artisan was very appreciated in the area. I never heard a word of my father against one of his colleagues. Never. Even when uh, colleagues were selling the wine Barbaresco at a very low price, that uh, someone could think they are destroying or not damaging the image and so on. Never. Only being able to talk well about the colleagues that for him were producing quality wines, but not a word against, against of his. I, I like this way of being respectful, respectful of the work and the idea that can be different from you, of other people in making wine, because you know, there are a, a different kind of consumers. You know, the attitude of wineries to satisfy, they are different. Because uh, for the occasional consumer, 
it's important to have a wine sometime. Uh, they would like to uh, spend a, a little bit of money just to have wine. Some other would like to have a, a, a bottle that uh, they can that can satisfy, uh, easy to understand. And uh, was the habit is different, the, the connoisseur is different, the uh, expert is different. So we have to understand that there are the, the winery are working for different selection, a kind of people. So my father was considering respecting uh, the uh, wineries producing wines uh, at a uh, low price because there is a request of these wines. Why you have to contrast and so on? Uh, and after he could uh, give a judge and uh, to uh, this wine, but uh, it was not aggressive, you know, and he could consider. And again, for uh, other people that was producing only the best, okay, it was available to this and so on. But that this act, attitude of being tolerant, being respectful of the work of other people that is working different from you in the was chapeau. Angelo Gallo remembers his father quite well, and he's provided for his own family, the future, and also done well for Primante. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Angelo Gaia of the Gaia Winery in Primante, Camarcanda, and Piava Santa Restituta in Tuscany. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.